Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Brad Gray, and I am so excited to have on uh, the show today my former pastor from up in Jupiter, Florida, Pastor and Dr. Jim Blaylock. Jim Blaylock is the pastor of Beacon Baptist Church, where he's been for over 30 years. Uh, I consider him not just a pastor, but a mentor and a very, very close friend. And um, in this episode, we just have a candid conversation uh, talking about the canon of Scripture. And how did we get the canon? How do we get the 66 books that we have today? And how do we know that they are the true Scriptures? How can we know that? How can we believe that? And we talk about some of the theories that go into uh, doubting the canon and discrediting uh, the Bible that you are perhaps holding in your hands. And we talk about uh, the differences in approach and is it beneficial for uh, young disciples or perhaps those new to the faith to take on a study like studying the canon of scripture and we just uh, talk about how sola fide plays into that notion of sola scriptura Uh, this was a great conversation i loved talking to my pastor about this and having him give a really candid answer on a pretty difficult subject one that's getting a lot of questions in today's uh, modern christian world Uh, before we get into this episode of course this show is brought to you by the christian standard bible Research shows that the top two reasons why people don't read the Bible is either that they're too busy or that they just don't understand what they're reading. So the goal and the mission behind the Christian Standard Bible is to have more people reading the scriptures. And that's what the Christian Standard Bible strives to be. It strives to be accurate, readable, and shareable. It strives to be a Bible that you can feel confident in sharing with people who have little to no familiarity with the Bible at all. So the hope behind the Christian Standard Bible is that pastors can feel confident in preaching from it while also uh, being a translation that all church members can feel comfortable reading on their own in their own time of discipleship and engaging with God's Word. And uh, to find out more about the Christian Standard Bible on your own, go to csbible.com. I highly recommend that you do that. Now for my conversation with Dr. Jim Blaylock. All right, just uh, kind of introduce yourself, Pastor Blaylock. <laughs> Jim Blaylock, pastor of Beacon Baptist Church for 32 years, almost 33. Um, I was an assistant pastor in two other churches, associate pastor and one assistant in the other. One in Knoxville, Tennessee for four years and then Port Huron, Michigan hmm. for a couple years. Got an undergraduate degree 
in pastoral theology, uh, Master of Arts in Ministry, Master of Divinity, and a Doctor of Ministry all at Luther Rice Seminary, which is sort of a Southern Baptist-associated seminary near Atlanta. Tell me about um, how you kind of came to faith in Jesus and kind of how that has kind of shaped your, your ministry, too. Our uh, family was unchurched. My dad was an Air Force lifer, and so we moved a lot, traveled a lot. And Air Force chaplain uh, chapels typically aren't gospel preaching, and it wasn't. So I might have attended once or twice when I was a child. But when I was 12, uh, there was a church in North Carolina that had visited our house and invited me to come. So my sister went first. I came. I accepted Christ uh, at the age of 12. About a year later, I felt the call to preach during a missions conference. And um, from that moment, all through junior high, high school, I knew for sure that God wanted me to preach. Hmm. And I just didn't know what capacity sure. of ministry. Yeah. You know, I actually, I, I was a, originally a missions major because what I wanted to do was be a missionary. Hmm. But that wasn't necessarily a call. It was just something that was in my heart. And it wasn't long after I was in college that I found out that wasn't God's call. It was just kind of a desire. But the ministry certainly was. Hmm. And you've been here for 30 years, you said? 32. It'll be 33 years this July. Wow. Well, I, what we kind of want to talk about today is I've just been through this course in seminary called New Testament Survey, uh, going over the Gospels and Acts. And it sort of gives a historical and sort of expositional kind of insights into both of those, or all four of those Gospels and the book of Acts. Um at the beginning of the course, uh, there was a lot made, of course, about the New Testament canon and sort of the criteria that the early church kind of placed uh, on forming the canon and stuff like that. And so uh, one of the questions I had for you is, is, what are some of the perhaps modern applications or implications of discussing the canon uh, in the church? How, how would that sort of, a, is, is there a place for it or... Or how do you approach that question? I, th I think you? there is. I think I think it's an important study for even rank and file believers in a church. It doesn't have to be some sort of seminary type depth study, but it's good for Christians today to know that, for example, if someone comes along and says, "Oh, we found the book of Thomas. We found the book of Judas. Why wasn't that included in the Bible?" Hmm. And um, and you know, so maybe to answer some of the questions or. You know, doubts that somebody may have, a young believer, it's, it's a probably a good thing to study the canon and why, um, you know, canon means rule. What, what's the rule for having 66 books, not 65? And there were, some, I think Luther was one that didn't believe the book of James belonged. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so why? And why do we believe it's, it's not 68? <laughs> and so forth. So I think it's, it's a worthy study. It's good to know. Yeah, and I think it also, like, well, let me ask you, like if someone were to come up to you and ask you, like, why does Spurgeon quote the Apocrypha so much in his sermons? Like, like, and why does he get away with that? <laughs> and, and why wouldn't someone get away with that now? Like, how would you kind of help someone kind of get through that kind of question? <laughs> well, about why he did it? Yeah. I don't know. I think obviously every preacher, every Bible teacher um, has his or her own reasons for why they would quote someone or misquote someone. Hmm. I think also through the years, um, pe people tend to be men, women of their times. Hmm. And so through the years, people 
have another perspective. They think maybe they see things more clearly um, than others would. Spurgeon probably, no doubt, he was influenced a lot um, growing up. And I'm not sure he ever quoted the Apocrypha as inspired scripture. No. But um, in every context that he did or anybody else would, because I've referred to them, I've referred to Bell and the Dragon and mm -hmm. so forth, but in the context of teaching, sure, you know, the what is and what isn't canon. Um, but I do think it's an important study. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily... It, also, it depends on the approach that you're taking mm. toward that study. Mm -hmm. Why are you studying it? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it, and kind of along those lines, when there's a lot of, you know, sort of chatter and debate about the 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 canon and the, and the scriptures that we have, and and a lot, a lot of people now, I think, kind of question how we came to these 66 books as you were talking about. So how would you respond to someone who is trying to say that the, that the early church's criteria for the canon was too subjective, or, or when they're trying to call into question the books that we have asserted is scriptural? What, what's kind of your go-to sort of response to that kind of question? Basic, okay, I mentioned a moment ago that what is your approach to studying the canon? Um, if, if someone's approach, a believer, is coming toward the scriptures from the basis of faith, because that's the only approach that you mm. can have, then you're going to be fine. You're going to study the canon, you're going to look at the criteria that they had, um, and you're going to come to the conclusion that you have faith that God kept his promise about his word. And, you know, I, I, for example, I look at how the Lord Jesus and the apostles looked at the Word of God and how they quoted the Word of God that mm. they had in their hands. Now, what they had in their hands, and again, the same 39 books, it's fascinating when you do a real study on it, what, what every verse is quoted in the New Testament and mm. so forth. Um, they, didn't, they didn't cast doubt. They didn't wonder. They, they believed that what they were quoting, even though it was a copy of a copy of a copy, they didn't have any originals any more than we did was authoritative. Hmm. And that's vital. Authority is the Bible authority. Hmm. And so, um, if Jesus and the apostles, for example, you know, there's a, the, the, the JDP theory and the documented theory and some of the theories that Moses, he couldn't have, he, he couldn't have written all the books of the Pentateuch because you can't write about your own death and you can't write about things you weren't there for like the Genesis account. <laughs> so, the, so the theory going towards that is well, unbelief. Hmm. I don't believe that, that these books were written by Moses because I don't believe that Moses was inspired, that these books came from God. Does that hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. However, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus quotes them as the books of Moses. These are they which were written of me. Hmm. And O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have written. So um, he said in John 17, Thy word is truth, sanctify them through thy truth. So Jesus and the apostles, Paul included, in fact, Paul based an entire doctrine in Galatians on a single word. Hmm. You know? Hmm. A seed or seeds, mm -hmm. you know? So that's how that's how strongly they believe in the scriptures, because they approach them with faith. And I think that if you if you look at the canon, even if you look at the criteria, the Council of Trent, see I don't believe this. I don't believe that that men decided what books were or were not scripture. I don't think they decided it. And that's an important difference. Um, I don't believe God's going to leave that up to, to, to subjective hmm. criteria. 
So then what good were the, the councils and so forth? It's sort of like if, if I were to take Natalie's ring, which is diamond, I assume. <laughs> yes. And, okay, you bought yes, her it a is diamond on the record. Ring, not a CZ, <laughs> all right? Now, if I were to take it and have it examined, and then it shows that it's a diamond, I didn't decide that it was a diamond, right? Mm. I didn't determine that it was a diamond. All I did was say, you know what? That's a diamond. It was already a diamond. And so I, I go to the canon, I go to the scriptures with faith, believing that God's going to keep his word. What these councils did with their criteria would be someone like, uh, you know, a jeweler looking at a diamond and say, yeah, you know what, this is a diamond. Hmm. But even at that, um, God didn't need the councils. I don't, I don't believe that for a moment. Or the criteria then to determine what was or what was not scripture any more than the Lord Jesus or the apostles had any such thing in their days. Hmm. Yeah, I like that idea, especially that illustration of looking at diamond. We didn't, we didn't uh, affirm them and then they became the scriptures. They were already the scriptures right. and right. we just uh, came to the realization, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and they will withstand scrutiny. And, you know, if they want to use criteria, and they did, you know, criteria about who could or could not have been an author of scripture. I, I think in, in some ways those kinds of studies can help build your faith because all it does is validate hmm. the fact that you came to the scriptures. But it, I'm still saying you have to come um, from the position of faith. If hmm. you come from a position of, of higher critical uh, theory or if you come from a position of doubt or unbelief, you're going to look for every reason to find so-called discrepancies <laughs> in the Bible. Yes, that's true. Well, that kind of leads me... Because it, it, going through this course, um, the, uh, one of the major things that was studied, or I guess I should say, one of the things that caught me off guard when studying the Gospels was just how much uh, doubt there was in scholarly and academic fields as to the provenance and authorship of each of the Gospels. And, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion about that and about how some of the original authors of each gospel and sort of their method of constructing their gospel accounts. You know, for instance, much was made about, you know, the oral tradition perhaps that they used and, you know, the synoptic problems, so to speak, and even um, the theoretical document Q and how that formed how they wrote their uh, accounts of Jesus's life. So, uh <laughs> From a position of faith, how should one approach these uh, sort of debates about how they formed their Gospels without just saying that's complete garbage? <laughs> you know, entertaining it in an academic way, but not also like questioning your faith. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> see, that's why um, I, I think that if you're grounded and you've mm -hmm. come to the Scriptures in faith and the faith's been validated because the Scripture will always do that, um, it's fine to study some, you know, some of these theories um, the Q document, for example, is a theory. Mm, yeah. Nothing's ever been discovered. Not one, one fragment of a Q document has ever been discovered. In fact, recently, I'd say in the last 25 years or so, a lot of the, uh, I would call them more the unbelieving scholars, liberal scholars, they've come to the conclusion that there was no Q document. In fact, there's, I read something not long ago that said, um, the Q document served us well. <laughs> for many years. But it's time to move on from that because we have other reasons for marking, you know, priority and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, that was a great out for us to to 
sort of cast doubt mm -hmm. upon mm -hmm. you know the authorship of some of the synoptic gospel. Synoptic means sin, synonym, and optic, same eye. They, they see things the same way. And again, if you come at it with with faith mm -hmm. that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, well, of course there's going to be similarities. Yeah. Because the same Holy Spirit. There are also going to be similar similarities because they're talking about the same events. <laughs> yeah. And even if Mark, who didn't witness these events, is writing about them, he was a contemporary of Paul. But more than that, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you know, they, they make the arguments that, well, it's obvious that some scriptures appear to be copied from Mark and so forth. I have no problem with that either mm -hmm. at all. In mm -hmm. fact, Luke mentions when he begins his gospel, you know, the former treatise, and yeah. he, he goes on to say that what other eyewitnesses have spoken and so forth. So right there in the Bible, it says that they may have borrowed from yeah. other testimonies and <laughs> so forth. So it doesn't bother me. I think that the problem I have is that most of these theories, I know the documentary theory, most of these theories were constructed by unbelievers. Mm -hmm. The very, very first mention of that was uh, Jean Ostrup. He was a, he was a, um, a French physician, I think the 15th century, and he wrote an anonymous little pamphlet on why Moses couldn't have written the Pentateuch, <laughs> or all of it. And, and naturally, you know, people who don't really believe in divine inspiration um, grab on to things like that, and that's what they did. That started the documentary theory, and um, unbelievers have always done that. So <laughs> I don't have a problem with, you know, I get, I, I know what you're saying, because someone who's never heard these things and these are guys who spend their entire lives yeah. studying these comparisons of texts and scriptures and the Gospels. And then they call it, quote, problem. Yeah. But it's not a problem <laughs> no. at all if you come at it by faith. You know, if someone says, well, how is it that in one Gospel Judas hung himself and in another Gospel it says he fell down and he burst open? And it's just a matter of, well... I believe both. Yeah. He hung himself. He hung there for a while. The rope fell and he burst. Yeah. It's not hard. And most, almost every single one of these so-called discrepancies aren't discrepancies no. at all. Well, that, that kind of leads me to what I was going to say next because one of their illustrations was this idea that Jesus' um, salt sayings, like be the salt of the earth and so, so forth, they appear at three different times in the synoptics. And so they're like, the, the scholarly view is like, Oh, obviously they're copying from a thing from another extra biblical document because, or else why did they appear at three separate times? And my simple answer is, uh, he probably preached the same message three different times. <laughs> but see, that, that, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. You're, you're approaching the Bible from the perspective of faith, mm -hmm. which is how Jesus and the, all the apostles did it. Mm -hmm. They never um, did textual criticism, ever. So... In so doing, they're not, and so they're automatically, their default position is contradiction or copy or somebody else wrote this, hmm. which is, you know, it's just unfortunate. And it could, that could hurt some young Christian's faith, there's no question about that. Yeah, and I was actually talking with my dad about that, just because my feelings, at least towards the textbook that we used, were kind of mixed, just because... In some ways, I feel a lot stronger in my faith, but I think about perhaps some other seminarians who aren't perhaps, they came through the course, and instead of being affirmed, they have had a lot more aspersions cast on their faith because they're reading about things they had never heard of before. Well, I've never heard of the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of 
of whatever. And so from that aspect, I can kind of see uncertainty kind of come in. Mm-hmm. And unless you are really approaching it from that, like you said, a standpoint of faith, um, I think it's, it's, it, it kind of scares me in some sense. Be a, mm-hmm. Well, just this flat sort of academic, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, sort of sharing of information or theories uh, about how the scriptures came to be. You know, like I had never really um, heard of the idea of Martin priority and all those types of things, or I never really thought about the fact that John Mark might have even been transcribing Peter as he was writing his gospel. And like the ideas of, of what that means for scriptural authority and everything like that. But uh, like you, that verse that you quote is the one I kept coming back to. Second Timothy 3.16, that if you believe, that this was when I was talking about with my dad, this is kind of what I came back to. If you believe that all scripture is inspired by God, you don't need human corroboration to believe right. that. And that's exactly. kind of what you were talking about with the councils, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. That's where Sola Scriptura came from. Basically, hmm. it's authoritative because it's God's word. Now, if you don't believe that scripture, hmm. that promise, of Paul, and and there are others, of course, Old Testament and New. Then you're going to have a problem, you know. Yeah. Do you think like, um, do you think like a course or like a study like this, a study of providence in in the canon? Do you? Th- how much benefit do you think that has? Is it dependent upon the person, like you said, or is it dependent upon more of the approach? You think? I, well, I, I, the approach, because I think if yeah. you teach the canon, um. To any any level believer, I mean, a new convert all the way to, and you teach it from the perspective of faith that you believe mm-hmm. that the word of God is breathed, you know, theonustos, it's God breathed, yeah. God gave it, then it will build your faith. Yeah, It actually will. And, and in your case, I think you said like studying this class, it built your faith. That's because you already had a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like when you see the arguments, it's like, is that all they got? <laughs> you know, these kind of theories and theories upon theories. And like I said, in recent years, they're even throwing out some of the theories. You know, it served us well yeah. for so long. Much like Evolution Darwin, they've thrown out a lot of it. Because it served them well for 100 years hmm. or whatever. So, Well, and to me, it, like, it really just brought to the surface just how desperate man is to sort of disqualify the scriptures as authoritative. Because if they can disqualify it as authoritative, then they don't have to answer to it. And if they yeah. don't have to answer to it, then they don't have to feel guilty for living how they please. No, exactly. And um, it it brought that to really kind of brilliant light, just reading all these different theories about how we got our scriptures. (laughs) Yeah. Because they made up a lot. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and I will agree, almost any study of how how we came about with the Bible that we have today builds your faith in the Bible. Yes. Even some of the arguments against it um, kind of build your faith if you have a, if you have a strong faith in it already because hmm. they're weak arguments. Yeah. So if you're thinking back to your time in seminary and thinking about perhaps even ongoing education after that, like what were some of the things that you kind of came away from besides just a building of your faith in general, or some things that you kind when of when I was in seminary, you mean? yeah, yeah, from a course like this, or perhaps like a study like this. Yeah. Well, first of all, the, all the courses I took in seminary took a high view of scripture, hmm. um, infallible, inspired, plenary, you know, every word. 
Um, so that's that's part of the difference. Now these were scholars, believe me, these were academics teaching these courses, and they were very very well acquainted with JDP and all the rest of the Q theories and taught them, and perhaps even in their younger life believed them. But one of the things that I came away with was when I that I needed that I didn't have from my undergraduate was an, an appreciation for being honest with the scriptures, um, not not playing loose with mm. them, you know, not using the springboards <laughs> to go off into space and never come back down to earth again. Yeah. Um, because if it is the inspired, you know, Jesus said, every man shall live by every man shall live by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. Proceed. Then, you know, it's not something you play around with <laughs> or have the freedom to, to twist or to, um, to use. Sure. You know, you, you, you preach the Bible, you use the Bible. Yeah. So I came away with that more than anything. Mm. Appreciation for the Bible and to be honest with the scriptures when you teach and preach. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I, I kind of, what was refreshing for me is just, like, you kind of referred to this earlier, like the connection that the different uh, writers of the Bible have. Like, you know, Luke is talking about other treatises. Paul is quoting, or Peter is quoting Paul or referencing Paul. And Jesus is quoting everybody and their brother from the Old Testament. And I think seeing the connections of how they're already recognizing certain books as authoritative. Right. It brings it to a higher level, like you were saying. It has a high view of Scripture. There's a high view of Scripture in the first century, right after Jesus has been ascended. And it starts from there. It's not something that happened you know, later on at the councils. It, the high view of Scripture was in Scripture itself. <laughs> exactly. In fact, Peter, you may recall, he says, our beloved Paul, Brother Paul, and he talks about, he wrote things hard to be understood as he did in other scriptures. Yep. So he was already, people were already recognizing that mm. Paul, who got saved long after <laughs> Peter himself was following Christ, was writing, quote, scripture. Yeah. And if you, it's interesting because if you go through every single writer of the New Testament, every single one of them was either an apostle, a companion of apostle, or a half-brother of Jesus. Mm. Every single one of them. And that can't be, be by accident. No. And so... You know, it, those things are good to know and understand, but I still say you have to come at it by faith anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. Believe that God is going to keep his word and give his word, and it is his word. Thus saith the Lord, hmm. you know, and so on. So to like a young, uh, aspiring seminarian and, and, and future pastor, let's say, what's your perhaps, you know, parting word of advice for them if they're approaching a study like this, like what, what would you say to them to help them sort of get through it perhaps? <laughs> well, I think the main thing is make sure that the, the material that's being taught or, or that you're reading in a book is from someone who has a high view of scripture, mm. who believes that God has spoken, that there is a God, that he has spoken and, and he has made known his word. Hath in these last days, you know, um, it's fascinating to me that when you look at every single one of the of the higher critics, you look at all the liberal theologians, and most of them came about in you know, the 17th century, almost at the same time as the Age of Enlightenment, same time as Darwin and Immanuel Kant, and all these guys had these 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 new progressive ideas about about the world, about uh, evolution, psychology. Even not much longer after that was Freud and. So about that same time is when these guys all came along and said, you know what, we need a new approach to Scripture, too. Hmm. So let's, let's do this kind of critical thing, and let's find out all the flaws and recognize that it's, 
It's just a man-made book. Mm -hmm. So I would say for a young guy, don't read that stuff. Mm -hmm. Read about that stuff by people who believe that God gave yeah, us his word. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's no reason to um, to open your heart to to just scorners. <laughs> the Bible warns us about that. Mm. They're just scorners for the sake of scorning. And why would you believe, you know, if Jesus says that the books of Moses are written by Moses, okay, and these are they which are written of me. If, if Jesus says that, but then somebody... 150 years ago says, well, Moses did write it. Now you have to decide which one you're going to believe mm, and, right. and feed off of yeah. for a while. So um, it's good for a young guy to read and to study those who have a high view of Scripture. Hmm. And even about these issues. Yeah, a good. study of the canon is helpful, I think, to even young believers. Hmm. If it's from the approach, as you said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yep. And if that is your basis... Then the like you said the so-called synoptic problem isn't really a problem. It's not it's a problem. It's a yeah. man-made problem. <laughs> it is. It is, and it's man-made for a reason. Yep. You know, mm, maybe these books do belong, don't belong. And it's interesting because most people who are big on the synoptic problem also believe uh, give weight to the book Barnabas, book Thomas, sure. book Judas, and all these other things that are discovered later. Well, and this can. Well, I wasn't going to really mention this, but this can kind of lead into where you have certain pastors trying to. Uh, throw out the entire Old Testament because you know they don't believe that it's relevant or whatever. Because if you have, if you don't have perhaps you know an approach of Scripture from an approach of faith, then you can do that. And you can so true. <laughs> and those are Orthodox. Some supposedly Orthodox. Yeah, exactly. About. And what's what's crazy about that to me is if you read Romans, for example, every argument Paul makes for for justification by faith. It points back to the law. Points back to the law. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's Old Testament. Old Testament. Yeah. He quotes the Old Testament so many times. It's astonishing. And so how can he do that if these modern guys are right that, you know, that's not for us. <laughs> the law is not for us. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, if, if it isn't for us, then Paul's argument doesn't make any sense. No. Or even if you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, you know, his argument in Hebrews doesn't make sense because Hebrews is the most Old Testament book of the New Testament. Exactly. And so if you're if you think that that can be thrown out with the babe, with the bathwater, so to speak, um, you just open yourself up to a lot of can of worms. Because it does. Then it, you, it does. How do you explain, you know, Paul or whoever writing Hebrews that those things were just types and shadows? Well, if you throw it out, there's no types and shadows that this can be the actual figurement of. Right. And then kind of the whole atonement. Um, system kind of breaks down and yeah. it just loses all of its weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree completely. Well, anyways, thank you, Pastor Blaylock. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thanks again to Dr. Blaylock for taking the time to just have that uh, nice, con candid conversation today. I appreciate him uh, taking the time out to do that. I hope that you had an enjoyable time listening. That's it for today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at underscore ministry minded. You can also subscribe to the show. Go to graceupongrace.net slash podcasts, and you can find out more about where you can subscribe and get those podcasts right on your phone. Uh, I appreciate the Christian Center Bible for sponsoring the show, and I thank you always for listening and for commenting and subscribing. I really appreciate you all. Uh, I'll see you guys on the next episode. Blessings.